Fringer and Fertreat. We are interviewing one of the premier Enneagram thinkers in the world right now. Uh, Joey Shuey is extraordinary in her understanding and depth of insights on all things Enneagram. Uh, we're going to spend a month going through this interview, and uh, it's seldom the case that TJ and I are challenged, pushed, uh, have to pause for a couple minutes to go, okay, I need to get my head around this. And uh, just routinely, over and again, uh, Joey just brings the pain. Could not be more excited for the topics that we hit here. Do hope that you enjoy it. Just be prepared that this is a little bit higher level. It's a, let's be honest. This is, gonna, this is a lot higher level. Uh, and uh, But we want to push into that kind of world, into that space, and push into new and interesting things and discuss what's next in... Uh, in our Enneagram study. So it's my pleasure to introduce the great Joey Shuey and uh, as always, the officially awesome TJ Wilson. I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. I'm walking slowly. The Enneagram is a map of the human personality. It's a tool for navigating relationships, creates language for what motivates us, and helps us to look at the way we look at everything else. Most importantly, the Enneagram is a mirror because sometimes you need help seeing yourself. My name is Jeff Cook. I am a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and with me is TJ Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and Enneagram ninja. I almost right. forgot your description uh-huh. there for a second. <laughs> We're actually not with each other. We are across town from one another today. It's true. We're you messed up my hello. <sighs> all my fans all are gonna things. be gonna be so upset about it. No, we're not re-recording this because <laughs> <laughs> we have a guest. Uh, the great Joey Shuey is with us. Joey is a Enneagram teacher, consultant, Enneagram eight, living outside Dallas. I'm sure there's all sorts of things we could say about you, Joey. What, how do you introduce yourself? I just essentially say that I'm someone who grew up knowing the Enneagram. I learned it when I was 19. And I'm 45, so 26 years of using this lens in life um, makes for some some interesting conversations, definitely. Yeah. Been swimming in these wires for a while. Yes. There is something about, I see it with my kids. I see it with, uh, we have fr- friends who teach Enneagram and their kids. The, the, when you grow up learning Enneagram about yourself in formative years, when I listen to those people speak about Enneagram, it's always different for me. Like there, there's like a bone level understanding where the, the rest of us are still trying to catch up. Uh, do you experience that? I love that term. Bone level is awesome. Yes. I mean, I, people ask like, oh, is it all you talk about? No, it's absolutely not all we talk about, but it is kind of ingrained in us. So you, it's difficult. I don't know that we do see the world without it, honestly, my husband and I, because we both learned it at 19. Right. It also helps a lot with uh, like conflict and and dealing with like all of the things that we don't that the rest of the world doesn't know how to talk about. Those of us steeped in the Enneagram kind of have this this uh, cheat spot. Absolutely. Is there ever a I know what you're doing here that takes place in terms of the dialogue between you and family? Honestly, it's not an I know because it's so prevalent in our household. You know, our boys we raised we have a 17 year old and a 14 year old, and we raised them both knowing 
what they were and talking about it. So to the point where our seven will say, he will reframe and then say, oh, there's a reframe. Right. <laughs> like Excellent. it's just so much ingrained in, in kind of our language in the home. Just self-aware. Yeah. Love that. Enneagram eights. I, I don't think that it's, so I have, my oldest is an Enneagram eight. There's all sorts of things that I think the rest of us feel like we know about Enneagram eights, but it seems to me there's a handful of things that most people do not know, do not understand about Enneagram eights. What are some things that come to your mind when thinking about eightness and what other people don't know or don't understand? Well, I grew up with my mom teaching that eights are the most misunderstood number. And that always resonated for me. Yeah. So um, easy to easy to to jump into that topic. I think one of the biggest issues that I realized and continue to observe in others is people are shocked to find out that we're not thinking about or focusing on them as other people. And mm. they usually assume that if we're not focused on them, if we're not focused outside of us on other people, that we're focused on ourselves. And that is a huge misconception because I don't focus on self. I focus on tasks and getting things done and making things great and big and better. And so I think that's probably one of the main ones um, because I'm so naturally self-confident. And um, I say that about three, sevens and eights. We all have, I think, the highest levels of self-confidence naturally. Uh, you combine that with people thinking about me when I'm not thinking about them or making assumptions about me and uh, what they make up is usually very off from what is true. Right. Yeah. It's easy to, it's really easy to confuse self-confidence with self-centeredness. Yes. And they're not the same thing. Correct. You're married to a nine. Married to a nine. I, I suppose the thing, same thing could be said about nines. When thinking about the things that other people don't understand about nines, what, what comes to your mind? So I have um, this theory that after being married to my husband for 21 years, and um, we all understand that nines doing is the filter, but it's also last. So doing dominant and doing last. So we kind of, I think the general understanding and, and thoughts are that nines then just choose between feeling or thinking. And I don't think that's true. Mm. Um, my, my thought is, uh, is that nines process with thinking and logic and ob observation and objective reason. And um, it's an interesting thing because nines will usually test in other systems with high feeling. And I don't think it's about an emotion. I think it's just about deferring naturally to others. So hmm. one of the biggest misconceptions I think about my husband and other nines is we assume because they're deferring to us that they um, have all of these emotions behind that, that um, I don't find to be true. I think they look at life very objectively and without emotion. I think observation and objective reason is first for them. Hmm. For, for those of you who are new to, to our material, I'm an Enneagram 1, TJ's a 9. Would anything resonate with you there? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I would describe my understanding of feeling much more in the line of empathy than in touch with my own personal feelings. Like, I, I don't lead with feelings, but I get other people's feelings. And that's, I, I, I'm asleep to myself, so that makes sense. Bang. Well, we're going to talk quite a bit about all sorts of things from from theory to to family dynamics. Uh, as said earlier, Joey, you are a specialist in Enneagram and family. 
and so just to start there, and you and you do quite a bit of work with um, with business, with corporations bringing in, doing trainings. What is the difference between those two worlds when you experience? I'm teaching people Enneagram in business and the chemistry there versus teaching folks about their their family dynamics. Honestly, there's not a ton of there's less difference when, than you would think. Yeah. Um, both ways, uh, we tend to Billy and I kind of tag team on Enneagram and parenting. Um, we both run our account and we both go and teach that, um, nationally. And usually we are hired by churches. So you've got that spiritual element that you can tie into it. Mm -hmm. But if you're following our Instagram, I don't tie the spiritual piece in to Enneagram and parenting. Um, and so it's very similar to how I approach it in the business world. And that is just, a, I really like to focus on our centers of intelligence and how are we using them in what order and um, why are we leaving one out naturally and how do we kind of bring that up? Yeah. And while it marries well with a spiritual journey, it's just as successful in my opinion, when you're just looking at it from a strict motivation standpoint. I would also guess that, that a lot of that comes out of not only your, your particular personality, but also your, your upbringing, your experience with the Enneagram there are people out there who are using, who are seeking to use the Enneagram in a corporate world in a way that is less conducive to being similar to parenting. And, and I, I have, having had experience with, with the, the type of teaching that, that you have also been exposed to, it's, it's, if you're doing it right, th there's not that much difference. Correct. I, I mean, that's very objective of you. <laughs> Again, that, there's, that, there's that logic and objective reason coming in. I, um, I'm fascinated by, because most people learn it, it's kind of the way it came to um, be known and popular is with that spiritual tie. Um, I think people, what they try to do is take that and um, morph it and make it fit into corporate and that doesn't, you know, people in, in corporate America who are trying to learn how to get along with each other don't want to know, you don't, don't want to hear this is your sin that you're working with, right. you know, but there's so many ways you can just talk about, um, this is your motivation. You are not using these centers in order. And man, if you did, if you would realize that it's going to make a big difference. Hmm. There has been a movement out of spiritual communities where it seems like Enneagram really began to sprout and get some some steam and then moving into corporate America from that. Have you gotten pushback on whether or not Enneagram should be used in the business world? I haven't gotten any pushback because I'm an eight. So TJ mentioned, you know, <laughs> based on my upbringing, you know, my when I was being brought up learning the Enneagram, um, language would be used like, oh, Enneagram helps you get back to your essence. Well, I'm an eight and I am doing first and logic second, feeling last and subjectivity last. So for me, when I heard that, I would glaze over, mm -hmm. quite frankly. Um, I am a preacher's daughter and, you know, my spiritual journey is my own, quite frankly. And so it was really easy for me to make that separation and look at how is the way I'm motivated keeping me from being my best self. And, and then I feel like you can tie that back to a spiritual journey because mm -hmm. if you're, if you're trying to be your best self in the world, then that in and of itself is a, is a personal journey. And so that's why I, I think it's so helpful regardless 
of religion and and to take that piece out gets it it kind of stops a lot of the naysayers ultimately right because yeah. what i've said for years is man the enneagram you can look at it subjectively but it makes a lot of logical sense to me mhm mm yeah you got that stage i was just thinking about that word essence and and when you're fairly when you're a fairly self-possessed person essence is not separate from who you are <laughs> and so so hearing that you're trying to get back to your essence well what parts of me are going to disappear if i get back to this thing that i'm so that yeah it, it gets complicated with you know people who are confident and and living out the their will as as they see it thing that I heard there is you have a pet peeve and I so want people to ask me what my Enneagram pet peeves are in terms of what's <laughs> taught out there. So to just open up the floodgates, do you have any pet peeves on like, I hear this taught over here and it, it doesn't resonate with me or this is something that should probably get m removed from our language. Honestly, this is probably indicative of me being an eight. Also, I don't pay a lot of attention to other teachers. <laughs> um, um, you know, people are like, oh, and in Grimm books, you know, like my, there are people, there's so much literature out there to read and I'm not soaking it up. Mm -hmm. It's something that because it's, you know, so much a part of me, I, it's such an awesome experience to just go down a path of, man, I'm observing this about myself. I hadn't thought about this. This all works knowing I'm an eight. Does this work with other types? And when you when you can apply it and it resonates throughout the Enneagram, it's just, it's so cool. But again, I'm not, I'm not out there uh, soaking up other teaching. I will say it. I think my biggest pet peeve when I'm working with people is when they come close-minded to it. Mm. Yeah. And I, and it's usually um, if I was going to give it a number more often than not, I find it to be fives. Mm -hmm. But I tell you, I like, that's a challenge for me as an eight. I'm like challenge accepted <laughs> because I can show you the logic behind the Enneagram. But I would say, yeah, people who not just fives, but anyone who's just, who says there's no way that 8 billion people can fit into one of nine types. I, my answer is that's a shame that you see that because there are billions of iterations of behavior and after 26 years, I can tell you, you can trace those billions of iterations of behavior to nine ways of seeing the world. My favorite realization recently actually comes with trying to convince fives of, of something worthwhile. And I realized it's my strategy because I wanted to say, well, let me tell you about fives and let me tell you about all the things that you do. And it occurred to me just yesterday, fives don't want to be analyzed in this creates part of the the roadblock to me my approach to saying look at this wonderful system and how helpful it can be is my my approach is let me tell you about you and everything i know about you and it's and they're <laughs> like yep done out <laughs> that's yeah, out. fives and threes will have the same reaction yeah. they do yeah. not want to be known do not <laughs> right yes one of the primary reasons i wanted to have you on was uh i was learning from See, I'm open-minded and I actually get insights from other teachers. I was listening to you <laughs> speak about something I had never heard before. Thought it was really f fantastic uh, theory-wise. So I just, I love the hell out of theory. Um, and it had to do with stance. And you brought up the idea of reference points. I wanted to elevate this as an idea. Um, I suppose you can set it up 
this is tied to stance. Stance in TJ and I's language is this is how our type gets what we want. But stance has ties to orientation to time and our repressed center. And this is another tie to reference point. So if you would, what, what are reference points and could you define those? Absolutely. So let me first say stance. I, I say, have said always, I think if you really want to apply Enneagram and be more balanced and be your best self, you can't ignore stances. You have to recognize what is uh, you're bringing, what center of intelligence you're using last. And, and mm -hmm. until you do, you're not going to see real transformation in my opinion. And so I, you know, orientation time is big. I tell you, Jeff, where I ended up really focusing on that reference point was in my attempt to teach stances because I actually teach in stance order. That's how, how much weight I put on stances. Hmm. It was clear to me that, um, aggressive to talk about the stance that is three, seven, eight. So aggressive and assertive are the two terms used more often. I get that. I think it confuses people because mm. threes and sevens aren't always assertive. <laughs> I mean, we're all motivated. What I try and teach people is we're all motivated aggressively to get our way. We live the easiest in the illusion of control, but it was, and it was clear when you look at the dependent stance, ones, twos, and sixes, they're called dependent because Jeff, your reference point is outside of you. You'll never be able to change that. And TJ's reference point is internal. So fours, fives, and nines are withdrawing. So I think that's a great term. So it's like, man, we've got dependent and, you know, and withdrawing They're, I think they're named based on their reference point. How can we translate that for three, sevens, and eights? And so the term I came up with was independent. And the way I like to teach that is three, sevens, and eights. Our reference point is ultimately wherever we want it to be. <laughs> it's not internal and it's not external. It's kind of, it's independent. And the way I describe that and teach it is I say the world could be blowing up next to a three, seven or eight, and we can choose to do something about it. And sometimes we do the, the big piece there is we can also stand independent from it. We can stand mm -hmm. next to it and be unaffected by it. And I don't see that happening with any other type. I think ones, twos, and sixes have to respond to it and fours, fives, and nines more often than not withdraw from it. Mm. But three, sevens, and eights have that independent reference point. And so I'm actually, for my publishing work, I'm renaming the stances based on those reference points. Yeah, I love that. It's it, it, We have had many conversations amongst ourselves, but also with other people about uh, aggressive, assertive, like what's wrong with these terms and which types are more likely to dislike them. And uh, threes almost across the board hate the word aggressive because they feel like that that paints them in a negative way. And, and uh, like the idea of independent is, and, and you still have to consider that like, I might get involved if I want to but it is not dependent on other people or what the situation is. It's, it's entirely my own choice at that point. That's, that's great. I love that. Awesome. I associate control with body types and the desire for control. 
and here that the word at least is moved, and this can happen a lot of times in Enneagram, but moving it to three sevens and eights, I can also see the control there as well. Do you see a distinction between the desire for control between body types and assertive types? That's an awesome question. I have always said um, three sevens and eights, we live the easiest in the illusion of it. And because life kind of goes our way because we can stand independent from it, not going our way mm. ultimately. And then, and so I think it's tied to that independent reference point. I do find Jeff ones, twos, and sixes generally to be the most outwardly controlling numbers. <laughs> and I believe that's because your reference points outside of you. And, and, um, there's so many things that I want to talk about, but one of the things I want to bring in here is I believe that your, our stress and secure lines are, once we recognize them, all it's doing is mapping how we're connected to the other centers of intelligence. Mm. And so what I teach in corporate America is, well, and parenting is you've got your dominant center and then you have that stress line is more than a stress line. It points to the center that supports your dominant. And so when you look at, first of all, there's a shift with three sixes and nines threes take in with feeling they read you know they read how they're coming across but they're processing with doing they're not processing with logic and observation because mm -hmm. that's too slow mm -hmm. and we talked about tj you as a nine you actually shift down to process with logic and observation mm -hmm. and sixes who love information they love they want the information and analysis they're going to ask all the questions they're going to ask opinions, but they're not making decisions until they decide how they feel about it. Hmm. And there's such an awareness of other people. I think that's why sixes are called the true team player. So ultimately what you're looking at is a shift. When you look at what we process with threes end up processing with action, like eights and ones nines end up processing with logic and observation, like fives and sevens and sixes ended up processing with subjectivity and people awareness, like twos and fours. So once you acknowledge that shift, I think what happens is we can point to uh, what supports our dominant. So, so you, if you look at uh, ones, twos, and sixes, and we all know that thinking and logic is last, what that means is ones, twos, and sixes, what you share is subjectivity and action. So you all feel very strongly about doing, but your reference points outside of you. So it's not just your doing. It's the doing of others as well. So that's where that outward control comes. Fours, fives, and nines, man, you are the most stubborn numbers. <laughs> and it's because what you're True. controlling is your internal, what's going on inside. And so we all control in different ways. Three, sevens, and eights by, you know, we're focused on action and we can stand independent. Ones, twos, and sixes, you guys share that subjectivity and there's emotion tied to your doing. And so you feel strongly about what's happening and what's going on outside of you. And man, you fours, fives, and nines, you just won't be moved until you want to be. It's a fascinating thing. So I think it happens uh, with all of us. I think it's the most noticeable, Jeff, with ones, twos, and sixes. I love uh, control itself as a set of glasses through which you see all the numbers. Mm. Yeah. Um, just to it's not a pushback. It's, it's more of a help me understand the, so you'll, you'll know this. My anger goes inward. Controlling myself is incredibly important to me. However, I do understand that outwardly when I'm engaging the world in my stance, I'm an earner. 
and I am reacting to or responsive to what's out there with a with a very strong filter of how I myself my inner life is engaging that um talk about control for ones in in that mess oh I thank you for asking that I love this topic because um building on what I just said about the whole if you're not on the triangle and you don't abandon your dominant center the other types the other six types we all have we're we've got two centers working ultimately and jeff ones are the only number on the enneagram for whom feeling supports doing right it doesn't happen anywhere else and so but your feelings there it's four feelings it's very internal so i i'm my theory is that while you're doing what needs to be done and you're watching to see what is and isn't being done correctly, you're constantly wrestling with that internal um, monologue, if you will, with the inner critic. And, and your feelings don't surround the doing as much as it's what you've got going on inside, which is that constant tap on the shoulder. You could have done that better. You could have responded to that person or that situation more productively. And so I find that for one's I always say this is where logic comes in, in the Enneagram. It makes sense if you criticize a one that a one will take it personally because you are the only type for whom feeling supports doing. I I like to tease Jeff a, a lot about, I okay, it's not really teasing, just like the way I like to say it, particularly with Jeff, is that he's he's sort of acting on his feelings, but it's not necessarily that he's he's processing feelings it's that he has a feeling and then responds to it in an in a more outward way and and this this idea of control being tied to the those two action centers like there's the, the illusion of control is is coming up in my mind a lot when i think about that because it's it's not necessarily control because they are reacting to their feelings without the mental processing and so like that having control over their lives even the control of themselves without bringing up that that thinking space without really doing work there you're continually just a slave to the emotional responses that you have to whatever's going on around you yet it seems as though it's it's about being in control absolutely to build, to build on that, this is, I suppose even for those of you who are already lost, I'm going to go one step deeper. The big idea for me recently for Enneagram types is that your type is much more like a funnel than anything else, or at least that's a worthy illustration. The whole world is coming at you. It's almost like getting poured into something, and what it's getting poured into is you. But when it gets poured into you, it, it moves and is processed a certain way. And that's why I'm hearing as you're as your, commenting is that this is the the shape of a one's self and how everything will get processed and through the person and it can get spit out in healthy ways unhealthy ways just depending on the health of the one who's processing that would be one second and i love that you bring it up we've tj and i've ended up doing a lot of work on secondary centers recently i feel like there's so much to be said about secondary centers right now um 
and if, if you're interested in this, dear listener, uh, do find our stress and security conference that we did at the beginning of 2023. But um, the effect of your secondary center is almost as important. Perhaps, I mean, all the centers, as you were kind of saying, you're teaching from the centers. It's as important as, as both your repressed center, which is your stance and your primary center, but it often doesn't get airtime in the same way. Absolutely. And, and it gets a lot of airtime when I'm teaching because you have to acknowledge what is supporting the dominant. What is, and so in my language for it is processing. We have a processing center, we have a support center and we have a reach. And so our support would be that stress move and our reach would be that secure move unless you're TJ and other nines and threes and sixes. And, um, that's, I mean, the reality is you're rocking with one um, until you are conscious of Enneagram and really applying it because the first is your, your dominant is just that filter, but you're processing with one. So mm. nines, you know, TJ, you know, this, you think through, there's a lot of observation and a lot of objective reason, um, that makes up your life and threes. I, I think fake it till you make it came from threes and it came from threes who read others just long enough to get done probably what they want to get done to, to focus on their agenda. And so it's just action. And sixes, I, what I, I usually call it, they get on the hamster wheel in their mind and they're so busy gathering information because that's the wheelhouse, that's the filter. But what they're ultimately delaying action for is until they decide how they feel about it because they're more comfortable with heart than they are with head in their thinking. So in terms of secondary center for the harmony triad, for three sixes and nines, you're comfortable saying the secondary center should be associated with their stress number. It, ultimately, yes. What I'm saying is you can you can say you can associate it with the stress, but it's not a stress move. Correct. So the way I teach mm -hmm. it is I say it's just because TJ's processing with logic doesn't mean it's a stress move. It's a shift that causes him to stay longer in thinking and observation than he normally would. Usually it takes that stress move. His stress move is to six. So once you understand the shift, once TJ realizes, okay, I'm not doing, and now I'm realizing the six pieces, people are counting on me. I got some responsiveness hardwired into me. I actually need to pull that trigger and do. And it doesn't change that his reach is still three. And I believe for nines, the reach is the way I like to say it, TJ is, um, you know, nines, you struggle with intuitively with your presence doesn't matter mm -hmm. and your reach is three. And I always say, have you ever met a three who didn't believe their presence mattered? <laughs> right. <laughs> and so once you hit three and you, you understand, man, I know something is mine to do. I've recognized the responsiveness of six and, um, it's, and I can do it. It's mine to do then you're more balanced, right? but it's, it takes nines a little bit longer sometimes and threes yeah. and sixes. Yeah. Yeah. I find that, uh, the, the slide into stress is, yeah, it's, it's sort of natural and, and uncontrolled oftentimes and, and finding good things there is, is I'm learning to be for that to be very helpful of, of finding the good tools. But that move into three, I hear so many people teach about 
it's uh like the way that it you pick up some of the three things and and realistically this the self-confidence the uh ability to uh to sort of like do the things that i know need to be done as opposed to normally just sitting back and sort of like waiting for things that need to be done to come to me um and yeah i i i like that idea that it takes longer because it, it does feel like a lot more work to move into three to to pick up some of those things once i get going it's fine it works but thing that i hear there so i'm married to a three um her move in stress ends up being to pacify to separate to lock down in a in a space where her action is how do i stop acting in a nine-ish way the and so the the type of action that nines can engage in is how do i make everything more stable more calm more peaceful that's her stress move the the difference here being the secondary center is that she's incredibly active as a person and so i would wouldn't have associated the two and i don't know if you can speak to that in terms of the distinction there do you see where i'm going i do and ultimately what I'm trying to say is she's, she shifts, she takes in with reading the room and relationships and people and getting along with others, but that's it. It stops there. That's right. just her filter or her home base. She actually processes with action. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you can visualize that shift, I say eights, ones, and threes are the types who process with doing an action. So we're the motors in the world. And uh, when I'm working with organizations, that is the first place I look when there is a lag in growth. I can look at that executive team. And if there is a lack of motors of eights, ones, and threes, then nothing's going to change until you get some doers in there. Ultimately, yeah. um, what I say about TJ and other nines is they have the filter of doing so eights, ones, and threes all see that something needs to be done. Eights and ones, we process with doing. So, so Jeff, you and I roll up our sleeves. We jump in and start doing while TJ sits back and thinks mm -hmm. someone should really do something about this. Yep. And so there's all this objective reason going on. And I think when nines do choose to delegate, which isn't often, um, because that's again, reaching outside of themselves, but when they do, they're great delegators because they are logically observing what needs to be done. And they take that in. Mm -hmm. Then you've got that shift. Sixes move over and take the place of threes. So once it happens that way, what I'm trying to say, uh, Jeff, is like for your wife, she trusts her doing more than she trusts her feeling. Correct. TJ trusts his thinking more than he trusts his doing. Yep. He naturally defers to others and he trusts his logic and observation much more. And sixes trust their feeling and their heart and their read of others way more than they trust their logical brain you want to talk about repressed centers on that front then i mean that's the the natural jump is it's because they are are repressed and feeling thinking and doing yeah yeah um when you look at it that way ultimately i think three sixes and nines uh you make up for i so the way i say it is you you hit the imbalance earlier than anyone else because you don't use your dominant center to process but the other piece of that is you're interconnected. No one else is interconnected. And so you can move through the centers of intelligence faster, like 
quite frankly, TJ, when he's conscious of it and, and making it a, you know, um, making a point to, to observe and draw from the other centers, he can move through the, the other centers faster than you and I can, Jeff, mm. because three, six, and nine are all interconnected. And cause I'm a winner. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that piece of what's repressed is, is fascinating. Uh, when you look at three sixes and nines, um, I actually believe TJ that you're the, that nines, um, are the truest type to be able to choose one or the other. Um, I think it's a little bit more difficult for threes. Uh, you know, I mentioned hmm. earlier that eights, ones, and threes, because we process with doing and we're the motors again, that logic in the Enneagram, I don't think it's by accident that our stress lines, eight, one, and three are the three withdrawing numbers. So I call them the stop numbers. Hmm. So your wife has a three, it's nine, mine is five and, and Jeff, yours is four. Hmm. And so what's hardwired into each of us, eights, ones, and threes is if you understand that your stress move is there to take care of you, the very thing that eights, ones, and threes need to do to be more healthy and more balanced is stop. And it's the last thing we're wired to do. Right. All three of us can kind of work ourselves beyond um, emotion or, or anything unsettled. So I think we, when we start to feel that internal stress, which is the tap on the shoulder to stop and slow down, we actually are wired to do the opposite. One of the most helpful things that I learned from me on, on this front of reference points had to do with what ties the head triad together. For whatever reason, when, when I hear five, sixes, and sevens, I have a real tough time seeing the through line because I want to talk about fear. I want to talk about thinking, but there's got to be a different through line. And you use the word in terms of what fuels the triads, the through line became a lot more clear to me here. And for five, sixes, and sevens, you talked about anticipation being the fuel of them. This relates to, to this in some ways, but can you talk about the what, what fuels each of the, the centers? Absolutely. So um, I mentioned that I you know teach in stances, but I always start with triads because I think it's so important to look at A, what you value, and B, what fuels you. And I think that can be found in triads. So the language I use is we can value elements from every center of intelligence. You'll know it's your dominant center if those are the values that are inf influencing daily decisions. And for eights, nines, and ones at the top of the Enneagram, they represent the doing center, the gut triad. And so what we value is actually going to be all be tied to practicality and um, implementation. And quite frankly, uh, I've, I've been teaching in enough rooms where when I bring up anger, uh, people don't love to hear that at work. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got, quite frankly, you have, it, I, I find that it widens the gap between unapologetic eights and everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> Ones don't want their peers and especially their subordinates knowing that they're fueled by anger. And then not, it just confuses everyone, you know, um, when they hear that about nines. And so the term that I came to, because anger looks so different for all of us, is determination. The three of mm. us are the most determined numbers on the Enneagram. Eights, nines, and ones are all fueled by determination. And then when you look at um, everything under that, so eights, nines, and ones are at the top, everything under that, I don't believe that uh, teachers 
have effectively separated thinking and feeling yeah. uh, because, and I find it more often than not, Jeff, when ones, twos, and sixers are just confused that thinking is last because you're thinking all the time. And so I knew I had to, when I was in rooms trying to make this as practical and applicable as possible, that I needed to really identify the juxtaposition between those two centers at the bottom of the Enneagram. And the way I do that is I say that the feeling center, absolutely that's where emotion comes from, but it's also uh, where people awareness comes from. Mm -hmm. So I call it the human centric center of intelligence. Right, and if we aren't drawing from feeling, we're not aware of other people. And uh, so twos, threes, and fours, what they value that influences daily decisions is tied to getting along with others. Relationships, interpersonal dynamics, emotional intelligence, all of that is what they're drawing from that influences daily decisions. And the way I like to teach is twos, threes, and fours, you know, there isn't consensus about what fuels them in terms of emotion. A lot of teachers say shame, a lot say anxiety. Our language, Billy and I came up with the term um, uneasiness within. We believe that twos, threes, and fours are all just what's inside is messy. And you see it in twos because twos don't feel what they feel and they're not in touch with what they feel. They're wired to feel what you feel. And if you ask a two what they're feeling, they're honestly not sure. And I'm raising a four and fours are very complex because their emotions are fluctuating at a much more rapid pace than everyone else. And then you have threes who um, disconnect from any negative emotion that they feel. Like they are hardwired to feel negative emotions, but then just immediately disconnect and put something more positive out. And so my example for that is threes are so good at reading that in others. Like they notice that you're not okay. And then you say to that three, yes, thank you for noticing. Now can we process my emotion together? And they can't back out of that fast enough because that's not what they're processing with. If they can do something about it because they process with action, they're all in. But to just sit and talk about feeling, that's uncomfortable. So for those three types, twos, threes, and fours, with what's inside is messy and there's a focus naturally on other people because this is the human-centric center, I think comparison is what fuels those three types. And twos, threes, and fours are all mentally comparing themselves to others. And naturally, competition is going to come with comparison. So it can get there with twos and fours. It starts there with threes. Threes want to succeed, but in their mind, you cannot be best unless you are better than. And then you go to five, six, and seven. And so what I say when I'm talking about the thinking center is mental energy does not equal logic and objective reason. Right. So just because you're thinking about it doesn't mean you're drawing from that center of intelligence. Um, it's only when you're looking at things objectively, when you're willing to slow down and observe that you're getting to logic ultimately. And five, sixes, and sevens, fear looks so different for all of them. Fives right. fear ultimately not being able to control their own time and space. Sixes will tell me all the time they're not fearful, they're prepared. And so mm -hmm. the way I like to say it is, um, you don't have to check the box of worst case scenario thinking to be a six, but all sixes check the multiple case scenario box. Like they have contingency plans for contingency plans. And then I'm raising a seven. He's 14. 
And um, I say that, you know, you may not see because of the reframing, the fear of sevens, but I am certain that a seven coined the phrase FOMO. So right. it starts with a fear <laughs> of missing out. Mm -hmm. And so fear looks different for all of them. And I think the better term is that they're all fueled by anticipation. Good. The the fuel in uh, tied to the underlying feeling is that's 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 quality. Yeah, it's also the case there. Is that a reframe uh, fear of missing out? It's like it's a fear, but it's really you know it's a positive kind of fear. Right. It's, exactly. It's a, there's this great thing going on. Uh, I got lots to ask you. Got thoughts, Teach? Uh, also, YOLO. That that's one that I'm pretty sure it was a seven <laughs> that did that. Yeah. Which and is for sure a reframe. <laughs> Absolutely, and I've taught that in like in different places in the country recently. And I have had now three, I'm up to three fives in the room. When I teach FOMO for sevens, I've had five say, well, if sevens have FOMO, fives have JOMO, joy of missing out. Love <laughs> <laughs> uh, When plans get canceled because they get some of that time back to themselves. That's great. I have heard this many times from my three wife as well. If you want somebody to, to join you on that. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I believe I heard you talk about this. It's something that, that I've said a handful of times when it comes to thinking repressed types is that you can see them because they're verbally processing. And the reason that I assume it's the case, the reason that we verbally process is once we say something, then it's out there and then we can take it back in through our intelligence center. So I want to say it so that I can get my intuitions around things. And I assume that twos want to talk about relationships so that they can get their their heart feeling center around it. And sixes are, I suppose, are just going to be in that vortex of <laughs> they'll say it. And what happens with sixes on, on verbal processing? They'll trust somebody else with it. I think more often than not, for all three of you, it's just your way of because it's I think it's a function of your reference point, quite frankly, Jeff, your reference points outside of you. And yeah. so as you get to thinking it's, you're bouncing it off of someone else. Like that's the best way for you to kind of ultimately arrive to what you really think. And, and that's going to involve other people, uh, whether you're a one, two or a six, I think that's important. You think that the verbal processing is a place of connection then for those three? Absolutely. Worth absolutely worth those types saying that. By the way, when I am verbally processing all this junk, it's really me saying that I care about you. <laughs> and don't you and don't you see, Jeff, that that's um, when you look at the common thread for ones, twos, and sixes um, is you know you're doing supported by feeling, twos are feeling supported by doing, sixes abandon thinking to just feel and and think about others and who's involved and what's it going to take. Mm -hmm. So the common thread is people for all three of you, mm -hmm. interestingly enough. So connection is very important for all three of you. So that's a great observation. Yeah. My last question on reference points ended up focusing here. When talking about three sevens and eights and their independent reference point, another thing I've heard you talk about is what that type needs, especially young people. And it seemed like it was the opposite, or perhaps it was something that would support. And what I've heard you say, and I've experienced this again in my life, is that three sevens and eights need consistency around them. And it feels as though that's a balancing when I hear you say it, but I was hoping that you could talk about the needs of the stances on this front. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I do want, because we started with, you know, how similar is this to um, Enneagram and work, right? Mm -hmm. And I have found that what Billy and I came up with for what each stance needs in parenting, man, it translates to the business environment. Sure. Three, sevens, and eights as employees need consistency just as much as children who are three, sevens, and eights. And it goes back for that stance specifically to the illusion of control. Because we can stand independent from what's happening, the minute there's an inconsistency, we can take advantage of it and we've got control. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately, that's why we say that three, sevens, and eights, you've got to be consistent with those children and employees. Because the minute you're not, we've got an end <laughs> to it, it. It's supporting our own illusion of control. Mm -hmm. We take that a bit further to say that uh, want, that threes need consistent inner reference checks. As children and even as employees, um, because there is a disconnect from negative and they put something else out, they don't always go back and process that. And my language for that with threes is if you just don't go back and process that negative emotion that cropped up, that it was inefficient or ineffective and getting in the way, I've, I picture virtual piles happening with threes. I think they just kind of build up piles of unprocessed emotions. And when they are forced and when they do touch on that nine, on that um, stress move, I think they landed in a pile that got too big. And until they actually take the time to stop, what nine gives threes, and TJ, you could speak to this um, intuitively, is self-reflection and introspection. Mm -hmm. And when a three can draw from nine and do that, then they're dealing with the pile and it's going to stop freezing them up ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, it, it's such a weird thing to try and explain to threes because most threes hear that this is a space to, to stop doing stuff. And they're like, why would I stop doing things? All I want to do is do things. And, and when I plan my vacations, I want to plan to do things and, and have experiences while we're out and all of that stuff. But the, the, the real space of the sort of withdrawal for me, understanding threes pulling back in that way, the space that they enter is a space where they don't have to constantly move. It's not about like sitting on a couch. It's about not pouring all of your energy into the next project, into making sure your calendar is checked off for next Tuesday. It's, uh, it's, it's a space where you can be present to yourself a little bit more. Absolutely. My nine husband has said often that fours, fives, and nines in that withdrawing stance we're doing is last. We, those types all need to stop stopping. Mm -hmm. yep. And what I say is every other type are, we have to stop or we won't be balanced without the stop wherever it is, right. because we all have a line to four, five, and nine. Mm -hmm. So we all have a stop built into us and we need to be a aware of that finishing that the the three seven eight stance in consistency we say eights need consistent authority and that takes time and it takes real conscious effort to be the consistent authority um and that i think that is seems overwhelming for types who aren't as assertive but it's not um it, it's not might makes right it's just being consistent consistently saying you know this is what's going to happen because I'm the authority in the household. And then man, sevens just disarm their way through life. They disarm people. Hmm. 
and this, and they reframe the situation and, um, they get away with things. And if you are not consistent as at, with boundaries and discipline with your seven, you're doing them a real disservice because when they get out in the world, um, the world is going to apply those boundaries and discipline that they never got. And sometimes it's, um, it can be a lot. So we say that that stance needs consistency. Talk a lot, a lot about assertive types, three, sevens, and eights. Oftentimes in life actually uh, hit points where they crash. They can no longer control. They can no longer outrun. Um, the language that we've used recently for threes is they're taking those feelings and just putting them in a file cabinet. and they'll. But that file cabinet will blow up eventually with all of that. Would you talk about the, I assume it's the case when you have not just employees, but specifically when you have children or those who are younger than you, you're trying to, I suppose, help them not crash. Uh, is it just stopping? Is it just parameters? Uh, what's the most helpful thing in the life of those sort of, uh, those sort of types? Well, we've, we already identified that that feeling center, which is last for three, sevens and eights, it's our repressed center is also the people centric, right? The human centric center. And so, um, I, I've always said, I think it's less about, um, yes, three, sevens and eights aren't going to be very emotional. Um, your emotions won't affect us. <laughs> we'll stand independent from them. <laughs> but I think what I love what you're saying with threes and just put that feeling in the, in the filing cabinet, because ultimately I think what pushes three, sevens and eights to stress is our own feelings that mm -hmm. we never processed. So yes, we, we struggle with, and our work to do is be more aware of others, but there's also that element of, man, I've said it before on a podcast, eights, I, I replace any emotion with anger because that's fueling for me. That's energy mm -hmm. providing. So my term, in, my language is why be sad when you can be angry? That's so much um, better in my mind. Sevens reframe it, threes just, set it aside. Well, for all of us, it's, it's, and we're not acknowledging it when it comes up. And so part of that consistency for all three of these types is what are you feeling? And that's not a question we like to answer, but it's an important <laughs> question. So the, the predictable pushback from the three, seven, eight in front of you will occur. And then what, uh, if you, if we get it more specific, then go back to that fueling emotion. So you're asking threes, you know, what makes you feel uneasy? Ultimately, mm -hmm. you're asking eights, why are you angry? Sure. And you're asking sevens, what are you afraid of? Yeah, that's good. So ones, twos, and sixes, we say uh, these three types, uh, and this is true as children and employees. Man, I really see this um, in corporate America. Ones, twos, and sixes need affirmation. Those three types, because feeling and doing are all intermixed and they all feel strongly about doing and they're all being responsive and their reference point is outside of them. They like feedback. They want it. They need it. And aside from that, affirmation is important. So what we say for ones as children is it's so easy to affirm their doing because Jeff, that's what you're processing with. And you feel so strongly about it and you're doing what needs to be done and you're doing it well. But the minute we say, Jeff, you're doing a good job, you, with the help of the critic, discount that. Truth. And so what ones need is affirmation of who they are. 
less for what they do. And that again, takes intentionality, but it works, I think. And none of this is going to change. Your, your type doesn't change. So this isn't going to change your child um, from being who they are, but it's just going to kind of help them reach balance sooner, ultimately. Real, real quick to circle, circle back around that. Why is it the case? It's about who they are and not what they do. Did you say that? I did. You're, we are looking to affirm one children for who they are and not for what they do. What is that, what is that coming from? Like, what's the anchor there? I believe that the inner critic for ones is there solely to pick apart what you've done. I think if you really observed that in yourself, anytime you are hard on yourself, it's, it's after something could have been done better. And what I like to say is that four is built into you. Your stop is built into you. Um, not for logic, but for just stopping the doing, because if you learn to stop as a one, what you're doing is setting the, giving the critic, you take away their fuel. And I have one say to me all the time, well, what about when the critic says you're not doing anything? And I don't think that's the critic. I think that's you because you're so wired to process with doing like I'm uncomfortable as an eight when I'm not doing your wife's uncomfortable as a three when she's not doing. So it, that's about what we process with. But the truth is, the more we can uh, send ones a message that you are good, because what you're wired to do is get affirmation and feedback for doing something well, um, we can kind of chip away, if you will, at where that critic jumps in. Is that going to be exclusive to ones? The the I'm you'll be familiar with the list of of temptations for the types of you are what you do, you are what other people say about you, you are what what you acquire, something of that sort for the head types. Is it the case that let's just take fives? Our fives identity of valuing who they are, it's gonna be different, correct? Absolutely. What what is the difference? here. Like well, I think the difference is what we've already touched on. And that is what is your support center? And you're the only one we're doing supports feel we're doing is supported by feeling. So I actually think it does only it, it should be the focus for ones singularly. So I'm, I want to speak to fives because you brought that up. Yeah. Uh, because ones and fives can look very similar. You know, there's not a lot of emotion when you're getting things done. You're in that competency group, all of that. Another area where I am separating a bit from uh, what has historically been taught is what has historically been taught uh, for most of the, for all of the types is you've got a dominant center and a repressed center. And so that third center has to be your support. I disagree. Hmm. I think your support center is the center at the end of your stress line. And it's not a stress move. It's just the inner center at the end of your stress line. So what we've said about, look at it with you, like it works with you, Jeff, because you process with doing, you support with feeling, thinking is your reach. So that, that was easy. You know, you, we say with ones doing is dominant, thinking is last. So feeling is, is the support that works. Well, you take that to fives and what right. people historically say is fives. Yeah. Fives for fives. Thinking is dominant. Doing is last. So it makes sense. It stands to reason that if you disagree with a five, they'll take it personally. 
I don't think fives take anything personally. And when you look at my theory, their stress line goes to seven. So it's more thinking. Hmm. So if you disagree with a five, they've thought through it twice. Mm -hmm. They've yeah. applied double logic to it. They're not going to take it personally. They might think you're an idiot. Likely. But there's no emotion there. That's and to disagree with them, you need to prove them wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It has nothing to do with emotion. Yeah. So I do think that's just, I kind of hold that for ones. And then um, twos, it's, twos are so relational. Why? They've got, two, they, they're in, they don't even have a line to thinking. They don't even have a line to log, the logic center. And so you've got, they're either feeling what you're feeling, doing something about that, or they've got that four line, that line to four insecurity. And they don't love to be in that space, but I believe twos aren't going to be able to reach logic until they decide for themselves what they feel. And that's what they mm -hmm. get from four. And so for fours, we say that the, the affirmation they need is going to be in terms of emotional intimacy. And that's removing other people from the equation so that the four can, can figure, so that the two can decide what they feel for themselves. If you can do that with your two when they're younger, that makes a big difference. Um, and, and I'm, it doesn't, we always kind of have a, that, um, you know, asterisk, if you will, that, um, these things we're saying, yes, every kid needs affirmation and can do well. Every kid do, does well with consistency. Every kid does well with latitude. And yeah, it's great to find alone time with your kids, but it doesn't feed other children what they need. Like it does twos, hmm. because what you're doing with twos is you're removing the other people that they're focusing on. And so they kind of have to get it back to themselves. And then sixes, we say they need affirmation of their thinking. And um, so it's not an, you know, we don't, we actually say it's not thinking, feeling, doing, but sixes need that affirmation that yes, what you are thinking, I know it's a very subjective by nature, but you can answer this for yourself. And so we say ones, twos, and sixes, definitely ask the most questions. That is not just as children. Uh, they're the ones in the, you know, when I'm teaching in corporate America, they're going to raise their hands. They're going to interrupt. They're going to have a lot of questions because they're trying to get the information right because they don't inherently trust their logic ultimately. And with a sick child, if you can, instead of answering for them, have the patience to let them verbally process through their own answer and then affirm that it goes a long way for sixes. It's also just to circle back, the ones, twos, and sixes can control environments through questions because you're directing. Very well said. Yes. I think that's a, a great insight for sure. For example, our podcast, I'm going to just, I'm going to take it where <laughs> I want to go. Not, not because I have any genuine insight, but because, go ahead. Sorry. I love that. Well, fours, fives, and nines. I mean, that's, it's interesting because you would think three, sevens, and eights just kind of have it figured out. That's actually where you need to do the most work mm. um, so that they don't uh, get lulled by the illusion of control. And then fours, fives, and nines, because doing is last, because they're so withdrawn and observant, we we think we have to be way more active with them <laughs> than we need to because what we actually need to provide them is latitude. And man, that translates to corporate America as well. They, fours, fives, and nines, I have said always, Doing last, look at every center um, that's repressed. For three, sevens, and eights, feeling last doesn't mean we don't feel. It just means it's last. 
ones, twos, and sixes, you know more than most, Jeff, that it doesn't mean you're not thinking. Um, it, it's just pretty subjective until you, you know, stop and and kind of take out the external distractors. Well, for fours, fives, and nines, they're doing all the time. They're actually quite active. The piece that is so real is you're doing what you want and what you like in the order that you like and that you want and on the timeline of your choosing. And so what we say those children need is latitude. Because that opens up doors for them to move or what is it about latitude? Because it keeps you from hitting the wall of stubbornness Okay. that you don't even know you hit because fours, fives, and nines reference point is internal. So they're the most difficult to read. TJ is a master of nodding, going along, thinking all the while to himself, I'm going to do exactly what I want to do, but I'm not going to mess up the harmony of this exchange. And if you, it's futile, I guess is what I would say, trying to force a four, five, or nine, because they're still going to do it on their, on their time. So when you offer that latitude and what we say specifically for nines is give them the latitude to not have an opinion. TJ sees things from both sides naturally. And so when you force him to have an opinion about something you think is important, that may not, it may not even be on his radar of importance. And we always remind people and TJ, I'd love your thoughts on this, that don't worry because if your nine doesn't have an opinion, that doesn't mean they're, that they're swayed by peer pressure. Just right. because he goes along doesn't mean you're going to ever be swayed to do something you know is not right. good or right or what you want to do. Yeah. Or that we're not invested. Like this is a thing that uh, I've had lots of conversations over different jobs and family and experiences and whatnot. Like me not having an opinion to offer in the space where it should be offered means I'm not invested. But that's that's a wild misreading. It, it's that I don't care how we move forward. I'm on board. Or if you put out an idea that's bad, I'll tell you it's bad but I don't have anything to put into this space. It does not mean that I'm not invested. Absolutely. And um, just an aside there, TJ, one of my biggest observations um, that I teach with, when you look at fives and sevens and nines, if, if you, you know, ascribe to that nines shift to process with logic and observation, fives have no line to the feeling and people center and sevens mm -hmm. have no line to the feeling and people center. You're the only one who processes with logic who has that line. Yeah. So the way I like to say it is nines are the most relatably objective number on the Enneagram. <laughs> and if you allow latitude, you get so much more out of nines because what you're getting is that relational objectivity, which is mm. pretty cool when you can wait for it. And then we say fives need latitude. Uh, so nines need latitude to not have an opinion. Fives need latitude. Um, to be alone, inner people drain, you no, know, whether they chose to be there or not. Nines usually say, um, they get energized by others. Fives, it's an energy drain regardless whether they chose to be there or not. And I think we make a big mistake with our fives, um, as children, because we see them and observe them enjoying that alone time. And we think you need to be socialized. And we pluck fives from, you know, the safety and security 
of their collections and, you know, their books and being alone. And we put them in a social arena of our choosing without giving the five the latitude to choose. And that doesn't go well. Mm-hmm. And fours, I can say without reservation that the greatest thing we did for our 17 year old who is a four is we gave him the latitude to be fluctuating. Hmm. And that's what fours need. Um, they don't feel understood. They feel like they're too much. And I think most of that feeling comes from the world reacting when they are disappointed instead of allowing them to come back up. I'd love it if you could put a little skin on what it means to give latitude for fluctuation. Absolutely. I have a very specific answer. Um, We knew pretty early that Will was a four. Um, Interestingly enough, we have a seven and a four and they look a lot alike as children. Mm -hmm. They both like to know the plan. They don't do well when plans change. So we were kind of going both ways. um, And we, we landed pretty squarely on four. Will was probably five years old. Sam had been sick. And what we teach about fours that's that's out there and very true is fours can't help but see what's missing. Hmm. And so Sam was sick, so he was staying home with me while Will had to go to school. So that's first what's missing. And you notice the disappointment that Will's sharing. Then when uh, I took Sam to the doctor, we needed a prescription. We were at the pharmacy, got some Spider-Man sunglasses while we were waiting. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. So five-year-old Will comes home from school. Didn't want to go. Sam gets to stay home with mom. And now Sam has Spider-Man sunglasses. Mm-hmm. And so he wanted a pair. That's understandable. We said to him, done. We can get him on our way to church on Sunday. <laughs> we are late to church on Sunday. Naturally. Not because of my nine husband. My nine husband is actually very punctual. <laughs> it was usually because of me. Because, uh, right, it's just my world. We're all just living in it. And so we're late to church and we say to Will, Will, we're going to have to get your sunglasses after church. And what we get from the back seat is that very familiar, deep sigh of disappointment, Mm -hmm. something else not going like I thought. And I remember vividly looking at Billy, he was driving and I turned to Will and I said, Hey bud, I get that you're disappointed and we could be later to church. We could be extra late and we could get you those sunglasses. But I know that you're going to have something else crop up that you're going to be disappointed in later. So I'm glad you have this space to put your disappointment now. Now you got to be careful with that because you can't be patronizing with fours. And we certainly weren't. It was very sincere. But the truth is the skin on that TJ is from that moment to now, 12 years of when he's expressing disappointment, we're not reacting to it. Yeah. We're allowing it. And what we do, Billy describes fours as being on a roller coaster. Um, that's a great metaphor because, you know, fours are fluctuating and the rest of us are not. And when you react to that and you try to get on it with them, you can't, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so what Billy says is we don't get on the roller coaster with him, but we don't leave the, the, the amusement park. We're right wow. there when he gets off. And what that naturally does, not reacting to the lows or the highs, I think we more often than not react to the lows. What we're doing is we are um, putting a natural floor and ceiling on his highs and lows. And the more we can do this, the more we bring his highs and lows Mm -hmm. into that. Mm -hmm. 
And so that's ultimately what that means. It's a famous story that involves you, uh, Joey, about uh, loving other people the way that you want to be loved. I, as you're talking, all I'm hearing is parenting the way you wanted to be parented here. My primary, a primary question I wanted to ask you was about eights parenting fours. And as you're speaking, I'm like, oh, there it is, is you want consistency. And you're, and that is a primary for the eight of wanting consistency. So uh, obviously when I parent my kids, I'm going to create some consistency. And I imagine that's a huge temptation then that you're working against. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to put it. And and it's, interestingly enough, it's one of the ways that I realized that Billy is not drawing from feeling, mm-hmm. because the mm-hmm. the understanding is that nines, if doing is last, they just choose thinking, feeling, thinking, feeling. No, uh, I'm very aware that Billy often is more confused by Will's emotions than I am. Mm-hmm. They don't make sense to him, but for me as an eight, they absolutely make sense because ultimately. Will and I, as a four and an eight, we're the most passionate. Um, we're both reactive and we both share that line to two. And so uh, that we share so much intensity is natural for both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, so I guess what I would say is parenting him that way. Yes. That was um, feeding that consistency that I knew I needed. Um in a great way, it also kind of calmed me down from being less reactive as well. Because you're pushing into problem solving there, yeah, you, when you're emotionally responding. Yes. And if I can jump into something and you can tee it up or we can go down to it, you fascinated me with one of your observations um, that all my entire family, that their stress move goes to responsive numbers. Right. Hmm. I had never considered that. And I think one of the reasons I hadn't is what I recognize more than that is our harmonic groups. Mm-hmm. And if you want to tee that up, I'd love to give my theory because I know you kind of love that space. I do, but we're going to save it for next time. Uh, friends, it would mean the world to us if you share this episode with somebody you love, preferably people who want to get into a little bit depthier. Uh, discussion about the Enneagram. We're going to do fun things with this conversation with Joey through November. So look for something interesting next time. All the links to all of our stuff is at aroundthecircle.org. You can connect with us at uh, on the Instagram and on threads. Using threads quite a bit more. Find us on threads if, you're, if you haven't yet started doing the threads. And, uh, and that's what I got. TJ Wilson is officially awesome. I'm Jeff Cook. Who you aren't just isn't interesting.